When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Jessica Hartung. And in this episode, we talk about her book, The Conscious Professional, Transform Your Life at Work. And you can see from that title that this is all about navigating the expectations, the relationships, but especially owning your own growth and self-development in your workplace, no matter what work place you're in. This could be in cubicle farms. This could be in a small business. This could be as what often is referred to as a solopreneur, as a business owner, or if you're a business owner that has a small team that works for you or works with you. And the topics in this conversation range from finding meaning in the everyday tasks and activities that you do by linking them to bigger picture goals, taking time for reflection that will create insights that make your work better and your work life better, and taking responsibility of facilitating an environment of growth, not just for you, but for everyone around you. I think you're really going to enjoy this and get a lot out of it. So I'll get out of the way and enjoy this conversation with Jessica Hartung. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Jessica Hartung. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here and really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So pre-recording, we, we kind of were comparing notes here. And and I realized that one of the best ways to set this up for people is, you know, again, the name of the show is Beyond the To-Do List. And so there, it's a productivity show, but there's so much more to productivity than just your to-do list, than just your time and just your tasks, especially for those of us who are in the workplace. And we've got to, you know, we've got to uh, be intentional about how we use our time and our and our resources there, but we also have to navigate the relationships there. And uh, you've got a book out now called "The Conscious Professional: Transform Your Life at Work." So, rhetorical question: Why why do we need to transform our work life? What's so What's so wrong with the workplace the way it is? Yeah, I think that that what we've been finding in the in the research is certainly that organizations are looking at it from a standpoint of employee engagement, but at an individual level, there is an epidemic of longing for meaning at work. People want to experience something that is uh, being a part of making a difference and, and having an impact on the things that they care about. And so seeing a connection between their work experience and that, um, that's part of the reason why folks are interested in transforming their life at work. And the other is that, unfortunately, a lot of folks don't receive good quality management and mentoring in their jobs. So they're in frustrating or challenging 
changing circumstances. They're trying to figure it out themselves and um, their colleagues and or managers aren't very helpful. And so when you ask people what's it like in their work experience, even folks who work for socially conscious organizations, you hear a lot about how it's frustrating and how it is um, draining or burning them out or challenging them in ways that they don't perceive as being positive. And so in the face of so much struggle and challenge in work in not a good way of challenge, but in a way that actually folks feel that it depletes their lives, it doesn't enrich their lives. Lives. And there's so much potential for work experiences to enrich our lives. That's why we want to transform our relationship with work because we want to see it in a light where and, and actually behave and, and experience it in a light where it enhances our life rather than become something we do just because we have to because it pays the rent. Yeah, and that's always the more or the most, I should say, re- rewarding work out there is when it may not be even something that we got into doing because it was something that was a, a passion for us, but it was because it paid the bills. But uh, if we were to follow, per se, the uh, you know the topics that you talk about again in the book, in terms of becoming conscious of, and and even I, you know when I when I hear the word conscious, I think intentionality that, mm-hmm. we're, that you mm-hmm. know we're deciding on purpose to do yes. our to the actions that we have chosen and we're following through on those that we can transform any for the most part well um, maybe let me ask you that we can transform for the for the most part any work situation into a situation where we can thrive but i think there's probably some exceptions to that right it, what's true is that you can improve any situation by how you think about it and and cha- sometimes people do need to change jobs and no doubt about that And more frequently, if they change their thinking about their job, they may not need to change jobs. Uh, So from an individual perspective, it's a good first approach is let's change our thinking and that will either transform this work experience to be uh, vastly improved or it will set us up for success to move on to our next chapter. From, From an organizational perspective, it's useful to have leaders at every level. Um, I, from building a business myself and working with everyone from the administrative assistant on up to our senior consultants, each role has a, a whole sphere of influence that they can lead into. And that helps the customers, it helps the individuals in those jobs, it helps the team and, and the coworkers. And of course, you know, it's, it's actually more satisfying for most people to have that sense of control and ownership and feel and be in charge of their work experience. Uh, so that is why I, you know, strongly feel that you want to give leadership at all levels. But in fact, why wait till someone gives it to you? <laughs> why don't we instead say, you know, actually, I'm being deliberate, I'm being intentional, and using the work experience that I'm having as a way of consciously directing my career, starting right where I'm at. Right. Yeah. I, I know I'm going to forget where he got it from, but a friend of mine uh, who's been on the show before, Chris Brogan, uh, says that you're the CEO of your own desk. Mm-hmm. So, you exactly. know, that, that's what ma- that's what that makes me think of when when it comes to uh, claiming leadership over your your domain, which may just be the edges of the place you sit for now. Yes, yes. And the opportunity for folks to change 
their approach to that, the mindsets that go into, when you say being the CEO, many people have a lot of misconceptions around what does it mean to be a CEO? But if you think about it in terms of the mindset of being in in charge of your thoughts, your approach, how you behave in response to the things that come your way, then then that's something that anybody can do. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the point here is that ultimately, really, we're just limited by our own self-imposed limitations when it comes to this. Yes, that's one of the things that I think when folks decide, I am the author of my story, I am going to be in charge of my experience, then there's this whole world that opera, uh, you know, then there's this whole world that opens up to them around where they do have discretion and control and more ability to influence than they realized, especially for knowledge workers. Uh, and, and we, I think, as a society are still evolving from a mindset where somebody tells you what to do in the job to a mindset where folks' job is to figure out what needs to be done. And for leaders in an organization, having people who are engaged, one of the ways to measure that is that they're thinking about what it is that needs to be done instead of waiting for someone to tell you what to do. And so that mindset shift is a part of an evolution that I think we're on in a, in a big way that's uh, overarching arc. But when we're talking about an individual's experience, we're taking charge of our own experience. And collectively, when we all take charge of our own experience, it transforms the way organizations operate. This may be uh, an oversimplification of that evolution that you were talking about. I, I hear the story uh, or the example, I should say, I hear the example often of, you know, knowledge work, the way it used to be was you'd pick a company or they'd pick you and you'd You'd start working there and then you'd work there till you retire and then they would give you the gold watch and you knew you had that security. And then they use the example of, and nowadays you might have like seven to 20 different jobs throughout your entire career. So things have changed, you know, exponentially in terms of the way work is. In part of that though, I wonder if some of the, the amorphous knowledge work, uh, being defined by how you do like I do digital work all day. And then at the end of the day, I wasn't using my hands other than say on a keyboard or a mouse per se. Right. And everything that I did, like I didn't, I don't have like a conscious memory of doing it as much as I would if I was, uh, you know, mowing a lawn or I was using my hands in a, in a, a shop or different things like that. And I wonder if that tangibility of the work maybe played into some of the, uh, you know, the, I'm going to use the word old timey that, that even though that is probably not the right way to say it, but just that <laughs> traditional, I guess, way of, I put in an honest day's work and it built my character and I was uphill both ways and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder how that plays into this. I wonder too. I think the level of complexity is what I see being a, a defining factor is that when the level of complexity increases, the nuances of what is it time for now, what kind of action will make the most sense is less and less clear. It's more contextualized. So that's where a knowledge worker comes in is that you're thinking 
whereas, you know, in less complex situations, you can set up a plan in advance, far in advance, and you can be fairly certain about what the variables are going to be, and you can predict this is how it's going to roll when you're mowing the lawn, you know. This is a, a, a pattern, and if you follow that pattern, barring, uh, you know, dramatic unforeseen circumstances, it's probably going to work out. And there's only so many variables, you know. You could have a, a rabbit jump out. You could have some rainfall. But, you know, we can anticipate those. Uh, most people now are working in a level of complexity that is not able to be anticipated in advance. And that, I think, is is one of those defining factors around organizations that are successful, but also individuals that are thriving, is that they're alert, they're conscious and aware of their environment and the choices that they're making, rather than simply following a prescription that someone wrote a long time ago about how they're supposed to, um, you know, make every decision. Uh, that's why I think that knowledge workers um, have more discretion is because we have more ability to understand and manage the complexity and work with the dynamics of what's evolving as opposed to actually, and sometimes actually further those dynamics. Uh, a big part of my work as a coach is helping people shape the future. And, and there's a lot of meaning to be held in a job where part of what you do is you influence the trajectory, not only of what your work activities are, but you want to talk about productivity, let's influence the trajectory of what really makes sense for this team or this um, department to be working on. And that's a level of influence and impact and meaning uh, that can really be very motivating and satisfying because you're changing maybe aligning better with customer needs or heading in the direction of social responsibility or supporting uh, people to work in ways that are just more effective. And if you feel that you have some influence from where you stand and you learn the skills to be able to to navigate that and, and, and have that kind of impact, uh, then from one organization to another, those skills are transferable. And there's a lot of meaning inside of being able to chart our own destiny, influence around us, and then do it in the next place and the next place and get better at it over time. That's like a whole nother dimension to work that most people aren't thinking about. I hadn't even thought about that. that that's a great uh, way to put that. And I think that just the the, the complexity of the decision making, again, it's not you're not just following a recipe. You're uh, in, in, you're not just following a recipe. It, it often is that you're deciding what needs to be made and yes. making up the recipe as you go is kind of the, the analogy of knowledge work these days. Yes, and the design. Um, if you've been following design thinking uh, and some of the evolution of our, you know, it's, it's impacted just about virtually every industry from patient-centered medical home and healthcare into school systems and how they're handling, um, you know, designing the classroom and the infrastructure to product design and some of the very famous ways in which, uh, you know, whether it's a consumer electronics or other kinds of firms who are trying to design products that are innovative, that innovation comes from design and creation and combining old things in new ways, which is that type of thinking. When you're working in, a, in an organization and you have a design mindset, you're looking at, well, what really is there a need for and what resources do I have available? How could I creatively meet that need? And what else is possible based on that? So, 
everything um, moving forward in that way, uh, that's really a, a just an incredible privilege that we have at this time in, in human history is that so many jobs have that creativity. But I feel that not enough people are aware of that. And so they go heads down through their job, wishing that someone would tell them what to do so they could get an A plus. And instead, the job has changed. Uh, they just didn't realize it. Or they want to change the circumstances of the job, which which are definitely possible to do. But usually it would be trailed by uh, sorry, usually changing the circumstances is what trails behind changing our perspective first. Mm-hmm. I think both can happen. You know, the circumstances can change our point of view and our point of view can vastly change the circumstances. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X dot com to learn more. I have an example, uh, a story from one of my coaching clients, if if I may, that I think illustrates this point. Um, It's a mid-level manager. I was working with her and she was complaining bitterly that her manager was incompetent. And uh, what was required is that they needed a vision for their department and some kind of a strategic plan to roll up into the larger organization plans. And she kept asking her manager for it. Her manager uh, kept kind of avoiding it. And she was complaining to me, you know, this woman has no vision. She doesn't know what she's doing. She can't, you know, deliver what we need. And now, you know, we look bad amongst the other departments because we don't have this. So there's a lot of different ways you could approach that circumstance. And the way we chose to address it was if she can see what's needed, but yet is not being provided for her, how can she orchestrate to use her knowledge and help facilitate what's needed 
because she needs it in her job. Her manager clearly needs it. So what we did was work on her skills. Well, if you were to do this, and this is the key question, if you were in charge, what would you do? And that's, you know, the trigger for that CEO mindset, right? If you were in charge, what, how would you approach this? And she's like, well, I would sit down and I would map out, you know, what are our key priorities from this place? And then I would do a timeline for the next two years about what we'd want to accomplish. And then I'd transfer that into a plan. And then we could have a vision statement. And so she had it already in her mind, what should be done. And I said, terrific, let's do that and invite your manager. <laughs> and and she was like, oh my goodness, you mean I could? And I said, well, I don't know how it will be received. And I think that there's some grace and some nuance in how you approach it. But if your manager is also aware that this document is needed and you would like to be helpful to her, you could say, Tracy, I would love to have a meeting where we help map that out. And by the time we're done, I bet we could have something to turn in. Would you be interested in that? And that's what she did. And then as a result of that, they produced the document, they turned it in, she got what she needed, her manager looked great. And in fact, over time, her manager gave her more and more responsibilities, which allowed her to gain more transferable skills. And she was promoted to a peer position on par with her manager, not that long after. And so that's an example where you can take the frustration, the anger, the, you know, injustice of working for someone who quote unquote, doesn't know what they're doing, which of course, this gal knew a lot of other things that weren't about developing vision statements, right? It's not that she was not available to do anything. She just didn't know how to do this. So we can turn our frustration and use a little bit of, uh, of work alchemy to create something that is so much better all around. And no one has to give you permission. You already have permission to do that. Yeah, and see that, and that's one where it's directly related to changing the circumstances because you you don't like how they are. Um, but again, shifting your perspective is maybe the circumstances. Maybe it's 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 not realizing that the circumstances need to change. It's that oh wait, I'm not clear on the truth of the situation. Yes, and exactly. And and the lens that I've been looking at this that I find to be most productive about that, Eric, is we are all always in development. And the reason why I ask for that perspective and I call on that perspective is to be compassionate with ourselves. We're all growing up other layers of conscious awareness. We're all developing into um, our next evolution. And so is your manager. <laughs> and and your manager may be great at some things and terrible at other things. We're all always in development. And if we can see it that way, we're much more generous in our ability to help each other and have compassion for one another and support each other on the journey. And, you know, your manager certainly uh, can support you, but, you know, it also works the other way around. Well, and see, you use the word uh, development, and I know that you talk about this as being deliberately developmental. This is one of those things that happens a lot uh, on these conversations is there's a quadrant. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. we have to put, you know, there's, which means there's four boxes and it's a combination of this thing and this thing on an X axis or a plus axis, if you can imagine that. And being deliberately developmental is uh, one corner, but there's three other boxes. So I I'm kind of setting it up, but like if you could just kind of explain again, deliberately developmental is being intentional about, you know, your own growth. 
Exactly. And there really are two components about that. First is is a developmental drive, a desire to learn. And in fact, this is very innate for humans, but we tend to um, have some folks who see that as a part of their identity. I'm a learner. You know, wherever I go, I learn. And other folks who's, who don't see that as a part of their identity, that they feel like they have what they have, they know what they know, and that's kind of it. And, and, uh, Dr. Carol Dweck, uh, sees this as the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. There's lots of value to having a growth mindset. So when you have a developmental drive, you, your high developmental drive means you're starting to learn about new things and you just kind of are always on noticing where you can, um, uh, you know, grow in a new way or develop a new skill. But in order to be deliberately developmental, there's another component, which is your clarity about your purpose, what you really stand for, what you're working on, what matters to you. So when you have high clarity of purpose, and now we're back to that four by four grid, high clarity of purpose, high developmental drive, that equates to a deliberately developmental individual. And, and defining yourself as that is a first step in that identity. Oh, I'm a person who loves to learn, who's going to orchestrate my learning so that I further my purpose everywhere I am. Wow. Okay. That's a person who is on track, right? Even if you have to change jobs, you're still on track because you're learning towards your purpose. Now, what happens when folks say, you know, I don't really know what my purpose is. Um, I'm just kind of uh, learning as I go. And that ends up with uh, what I call a dabbler, a low clarity of purpose, uh, lots of developmental drive. So we're learning, but the learning doesn't really add up. So it's like a smattering of different unrelated pieces that they haven't yet figured out how to weave together in a way that really supports what they want to create. And so the antidote there is to start to clarify our values and what really matters to us so that we're connecting our learning with that. So this is the place where I hope to not find people that listen to the show because they have that high developmental drive where, Ooh, what's, you know, what's the latest productivity app or how mm-hmm. do I, you know, they listen in to the show. And, and if I'm describing you, let me know. Uh, but a- as they listen to the show, they hear all these different perspectives on productivity. And again, one of the worst things that you can do is be learning about productivity, but applying it towards nothing that's then unproductive. And it's another one of the reasons why we on this show, I have try to have as many conversations as I can, uh, this one included about the clarity of purpose, because if you then have a purpose, then you switch it the other way. Uh, I think in the book, you call it the dutiful uh, doer. Doer. Yeah. yeah. The dutiful doer is someone who's really focused. And I work a lot with mission-driven professionals who are so caring about their work. So they have a very strong focus on doing what needs to be done. But when they don't also have a developmental drive, they can start to put blinders on. And just as you were speaking in the beginning that doing is one dimension of productivity and being Mm -hmm. is another. So when we're in the dutiful doer mode, we forget that how we're being and that we can actually um, 
our value comes not only from our output, but it also comes from our presence. And as we're learning and growing ourselves, our output and what we're capable of doing transforms and changes. Just like this gal that I I gave as an example, she could be a dutiful doer and say, I'm doing just what my manager tells me to. But that's not the same as actually looking across and saying, what's needed? How can I learn how to facilitate us getting what what is most important so that we're meeting the needs of our constituents. Um, so a dutiful doer really limits themselves to just focusing on what's currently at hand and, and considering their value only in their output according to someone else's direction. And I believe that dutiful doers who start to move over into the developmental drive, they start to build more of the transferable skills so that they don't get too far down in the specialization um, niche uh, that that sometimes can be quite career limiting as the the world changes around you. Uh, So there are many technical professionals who've gotten really expert at a particular program. And without that developmental drive to learn new things and transfer those skills, they they really get locked into a particular form of uh, programming or a particular form of uh, activity that is, is very limiting. So the developmental drive is good to sprinkle into just about any profession. Uh, if we're only looking at one discipline, uh, we're not seeing the sources of innovation. When we talked about the complexity that we're dealing with, very few things, very few roles are really that isolated. And so when you combine developmental drive with that strong, dutiful, working hard person, what you get is an opportunity for that person to be more influential, more impactful, to grow and change themselves, and to grow and change as the industry and markets around them change. Yeah, and as the world of work is changing and you know, the, the ambiguousness of the work, uh, and what it can look like, uh, continues to morph. Uh, one of the things that helps, obviously, not only with getting a clarity on your purpose, but also helps you decide which things to develop is this taking time to reflect. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. It is one of the things that I think is just, the powering of our opportunity to to take charge. Um, if without reflection, we really don't have as much or as deep of an understanding of what's going on. And so the opportunity to understand deeply what's going on with ourselves, with the organization, that reflection is really powerful. And it's it's quiet and it's introspective. And so fo- most most folks in the working world don't put as much value in reflection. But honestly, uh, you know, if we are knowledge workers, where is the time on our calendar where we think? And again, going back to what we were talking about previously about changing circumstances intentionally or even shifting our perspective, how are you going to know which or both of those things and what about them needs to be changed if you're not taking the time to reflect. But again, taking the time to reflect and blocking that out can be something that I think even in the modern workplace or even in even in knowledge work is something that's potentially, unless you're given permission to do it, hard to ask for or request. Yes. And and it it does seem like 
if you had to ask for it, um, it might uh, be a barrier. I think that because reflection is so inherently something that we can choose to do on our own, there's very little permission that's required. It is more a matter of a personal decision. When you think about the difference between leadership and management, people will talk a lot about uh, those distinctions. And one of the distinctions about leadership is that you're not just doing things right, you're doing the right things, or you're figuring out what needs to be done. The power of reflection really relates to that because in our own individual work, um, for instance, uh, I have been a CEO of uh, Integrated Work for 20 years. And it was through reflection that I realized my next chapter isn't as a CEO. I need to find someone to essentially replace me and run this company so I can do something else. And still basically write, finish uh, The Conscious Professional as a book and get the word out there so more people are taking charge of their work lives. And, you know, serving our clients and doing our work is fabulous. And I loved it. And I still love it. But um, in order for me to do um, my next leading of my own career forward, I had to stop what I was doing reflect, and then change the nature of my role uh, to a founder and to a supporter of others who are running the company instead of being the person who's doing that myself. I think in every role, there are ways to reshape how we're thinking about it and take charge of what we're doing. But if you're not thinking and spending the time to reflect, it's very hard to do that. We tend to form uh, habitual patterns and we just keep repeating what we've done before. So if you're going to break out of that habit to be able to innovate, to be able to transform, make change, increase your impact, all of the things that people say they want, they actually reside and start with the ability to carve time out of your day and week for reflection. Yeah. And again, having that reflection time is going to make it to where you can, you dig yourself up out of those, those weeds where it feels like all of the tasks that you do every day, maybe you lose sight of how those directly relate to, uh, you know, the big picture goals. I know you talk about this when it comes yes. to the, the, um, strategic line of sight. Yes, I think that reflection can take a lot of different forms. And there are opportunities for us to reflect on things that are more individual for us, like what's really concerning me, what's on my mind, uh, what are my intentions, those kinds of reflections. And, you know, just setting aside 15 minutes, half hour makes a world of difference of clarifying for ourselves what's really important. When we match that up with what's important to the organization, I think we can create deep meaning in our work. So a strategic line of sight, you can look at it from an individual perspective. What's your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish in your life? And how does this work relate to it? You can also look at it from an organizational standpoint. Oh, I'm working on this spreadsheet. Now, what does this spreadsheet relate to? How is this spreadsheet important? And not knowing that, uh, it it disables our ability to think strategically about the spreadsheet, right? So if we don't even know where it fits, it's a great thing to find out. If we know where it fits and we can create that line of sight between this spreadsheet folds up and it's a part of the budgeting process, which is a part of how we decide our priorities, which is how we allocate our resources, which is how we fulfill our strategy. And you can see that strategic line of sight between something that might be a fairly mundane task, but actually it contributes to the whole 
execution or even determination of the strategic direction of an organization, suddenly our work has a lot more opportunity for impact because we can see that strategic line of sight between our activities and where the organization is going, or between our activities and where our career is going. Mm-hmm. I, I like to look at it as uh, almost like um, not puppet strings, but a tether to something more p- important and meaningful that when I need to, and I take the time and actually acknowledge those those tethers, that it picks me up and lifts me up from where I am back up on my feet or higher. I appreciate that you said that because there's this way in which We long to be a part of something larger than ourselves in a quest for meaning in in work and a quest for meaning in life. We know that being a part of something larger and whatever your conception of that is from universal principles to an organization to a family in whatever form, but being connected to something larger than ourselves creates meaning in our work and creates meaning in our lives. And so the strategic line of sight is a business way to express that. But um, when I speak with folks about gaining inner alignment and, and really looking at why are you here on this planet? What is it that purpose that, um, you know, sings to your soul and not necessarily that it's something that you need to do or produce or create, but how are you being Mm. in relationship to what really matters to you? And that kind of connection, that alignment that comes with self-awareness and being in relationship with what really matters to our, our hearts and, and not just about our, you know, great brains and all the calculations and machinations that the brain can go through. But can we make it a little more soulful? Yeah, you actually can. Yeah, I, I truly do believe that. And in fact, that's a great place to kind of wrap up this conversation on an existential note. But uh, that's what work can be for us. We spend so much time in our lives in the workplace, whatever form or fashion that may take. But this this is a great book. And we didn't even touch on, honestly, the majority. I think out of every interview I've ever done, we've barely scratched the surface the most this time. Uh, <laughs> or or we've least scratched the surface, I should say, uh, with this book. There's so much in here. Specifically, I'm thinking of all of the different reflection points and or um, exercises that you can go through on a number of different aspects of becoming a conscious professional and transforming our work life. And Jessica, it's been great talking with you. Where can people best find you to learn more about the work that you're doing? Thanks, Eric. I I did pour a lot into this book. I've been for 20 years uh, running a company, managing that and the experience of kind of building a learning laboratory at work, and then coaching and supporting executives and running peer-to-peer learning groups for nonprofit and other mission-driven folks. And I really tried to distill it down. And, you know, I can't even tell you how many chapters we had to cut out, but there are 24 different tools that folks can can use on the job to develop themselves. And I felt so called, you know, from my purpose to to really bring it into an accessible way that it, it would be appropriate for anybody at any level of the organization to work on. And so at the website, consciousprofessional.com, 
is where I've been consolidating some of those resources and other materials, as well as you can purchase the book from links there. You can also get uh, weekly professional development tips on the, the conscious professional journey. So I would love to have folks join me there and uh, connect into the community. I think the part that's so fulfilling for me is hearing the stories about how folks have taken charge of their own journey. And, you know, we're all always in development and leaning into that so that we can do that with compassion for ourselves and grace for those around us and really allow ourselves to grow while we go. Because my sense is that uh, that that ability for us to author and grow ourselves is really the key to a lasting, meaningful relationship with our careers. Yeah, well said and and well done on the book. There's, there really is so much in here. So to hear that there's so much left over, like, uh, kind of shocks me, but also then doesn't surprise me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's the next book in the making. Yeah. Jessica, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Thank you for being here. Thanks for uh, sharing your insights. Absolutely, Eric. It was a pleasure. Well, that's another podcast checked off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I hope that more than just enjoying it, you got something out of it. I'm curious, how are you at owning your own growth or taking responsibility for your own environment in your workplace? I really do love that quote, and I think that it's a... I forget who it's from, but I know that Chris Brogan either took it and ran with it or tweaked it. But again, being the CEO of your own desk, that is really what this is about. It's navigating the relationships. It's knowing the expectations. It's working through all of that. And again, you're not off the hook. In fact, you're almost more on the hook to do this if you're head of your own business. And honestly, even the dynamic of you are your own boss and it's only you in your business. Think about that for a moment. You may not have to think about the health of your employees, but you do need to think about the health of one employee, and that is you. And I don't just mean health physically. I mean like health mentally, emotionally, and all of that, and making sure that that person is being challenged and growing. And that's honestly sometimes something that people don't think about when it comes to this. So anyway, let me know your thoughts. You can tweet me at twitter.com slash Eric with a K, the letter J. F-I-S-H-E-R. I'd love to hear from you. I'd also love for you to share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. And you can do that by going to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com slash 271 or hitting the share button in whatever podcast listening app you are listening to this on. And with that, thank you again for listening, and I will see you next episode. <laughs>